0: Thank you for listening to the Christ the King Church podcast. We exist to help people know, love, and obey Jesus as Lord over all of life. For more information about our church, please visit us at ctksensi.com. Good morning, church. Are we doing all right? Yeah? I'm doing all right. Good to see you all. I didn't recognize the drummer. Uh... I don't know who that guy was. He must be on loan from another church. Maybe Missy O'Day sent over a drummer because we needed somebody today, but uh, I thought he did a good job. Uh, So way to go, uh, Mr. Mystery Drummer today. Very nice having you. Uh, So I'm glad you're here with us. My name is Michael, uh, one of the pastors here, and we're doing a series through the Gospel of Luke right now, and we're at this little four-week mini-series within this whole series focusing on Jesus' very famous teaching that Luke's version is the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, it's also known as the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's version. So today we've arrived at a particular teaching that is very powerful and very challenging, and that is the teaching to love your enemies. It's a particularly needed message in our divided age, especially, right? So, I mean, you might think it's, it's hard enough to love our friends, or you know love our neighbors even, but to love our enemies. Now, that, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to, to be called to love our enemies, and yet that's what Jesus calls us to do. I mean, why would anybody want to do that? Why would you want to love the people who are against you? Why would you want to love those who are trying to hurt you? Well, that's what we're going to find out today, and what we're going to discover is that loving our enemies is the path of Jesus. This is the way of the kingdom of God. Well, you might say, well, that's impossible. That's impossible. And I would agree with you. Yes, it is impossible, at least in human strength. It's impossible. We can only really do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. R.C. Sproul, theologian, he said that uh, loving someone else that hates or despises you requires all the grace that the human soul can bear. I think he's right about that. We might say, well, that's dangerous. It's dangerous to love our enemies. And I would say, yes, that." That's true too, at least from an earthly point of view. It, it requires faith that God will give you justice for the thing that makes that other person your enemy. I think it's like hating your enemies, it's, it's kind of a self-protection, right? I mean, it's a, it's a way that, that we protect ourselves from, from the person that we perceive to be a threat. But hating our enemies does come at a spiritual cost. It, it's a danger to your soul to hate your enemies, an the antidote is to love your enemies. It's not good or healthy to carry around hatred towards other people or to be bitter towards other people. To do that, it, it, it's harmful spiritually and psychologically, even physically. It's harmful to us to do that. So today we're going to talk about loving your enemies as Jesus taught us to do. We're going to be in Luke chapter 6. So turn to Luke chapter 6, if you will. And I've got six principles for us today, six principles about how to love your enemies. How to love your enemies. We'll start here in verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Let's pause here. First principle, identify your enemies. Identify your enemies. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, and that's hard to do if we don't know who they are, right? If we don't know who our enemies are, then we're not able to love them, so we need to personalize this command. Most Christians don't think they have enemies. I asked my wife uh, yesterday, I was like, or it was Friday, I said, who are your enemies? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really have any. See, so, you know, there's people that have hurt me, but I don't really have any enemies. Of course, if you know Laura, you know why that's true. It's like everybody loves Laura. Uh, she's just a very sweet woman. But, but in her mind, there isn't anybody that immediately comes to mind as that's an enemy. And I don't either. It's like they're not people that just come to mind and say, like, oh, that's an enemy. Because we don't think this way. Nobody would just kind of walk around and be like, oh, uh, there's Fred. He's my enemy. We've been enemies for, I don't know, 12 years or so. We we just don't talk that way. We don't think... We we reserve the word enemy for distant, impersonal forces. People that aren't close to us, but people that are far away, like terrorists or criminals or telemarketers. (laughs) But they're not people that we know, right? Not people that we know personally. So you might consider somebody on Twitter your enemy, or maybe an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. They're not around anymore, but, but they're all distant. They're, they're all distant. They're, they're removed. Or it could even be a category of people that we would consider an enemy. But when all of your enemies are distant and impersonal and out there somewhere, there's no way for you to apply Jesus' teaching directly to your life. There's no way for this to be a practical thing. It's almost as though Jesus didn't mean it. Or it, 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 maybe it just means like, well... Since I don't know them, I'm just supposed to feel a certain way. But Jesus, he's practical. He tells us specific things that we're to do. So loving your enemies is not just a sentiment, right? It's not just a feeling. There's something more. There's probably not a whole lot of radical jihadists in your life that you can show love to, but there's probably a lot of people that you don't like very much. There's probably a lot of people in your life that you don't get along with very well. So the more we we focus on distant enemies, the more we'll miss opportunities to love enemies in our own backyard. So these aren't impersonal abstractions. These are real people in your life. These are people you know. You know you have enemies. There are people that you know personally in your life. You know their name. You know who they are. They could be people that you just don't like very much, people you don't get along with, somebody you have a conflict with, but they're close to you. They're, They're close enough to hurt you. They're close enough to feel threatening to you. So it could be a neighbor. It could be your dad or your mom, some family member. It could be a former friend. It could be somebody at work, a neighbor. You might not call them enemy, but that's, that's who they are in terms of what Jesus is teaching us here. You may not call them an enemy, but you avoid them like a the plague, right? You may not mind if you read their name in the obituary. I don't know. But, but these are people that, that you just don't care a lot for. So to, to obey Jesus' teaching, we need to identify specific people in our lives that fit this category. mentioned R.C. Sproul already. Um, Let me read to you a quote. This is how R.C. Sproul defines enemy. An enemy, by definition, is somebody with whom we are experiencing estrangement. Somebody who is against us. Somebody whose hostility prevents us from responding warmly. I live in a, a townhouse. There's a row of eight townhouses, all connected together. We've lived there since 2008. And Laura and I, we've always made a priority of having good relationships and rapport with all of our neighbors. And, you know, for, you know, for several years, that we, always, we always had good relationships with our neighbors. Um, but about five years ago, we had a relationship with one neighbor that soured. His name, I'm not going to use his real name, but we'll call him Daniel. But that's not his real name. But Daniel spoiled all the fun. You know, Daniel's a complainer. Not you, Daniel. Okay, it, 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 his name starts with the f- same first letter. And so Daniel is just the first name. That I love you, brother. Not as an enemy, but as a friend. That's not you. But my neighbor, uh, he lives in number eight. You know, if you're really nosy, you want to look him up. He lives in number eight park place. I shouldn't say that. Scrub that from the uh, internet. Anyway. Anyway. Um, Daniel has been a major problem in our neighborhood. He, he's always offended. He's the kind of guy that's just, he's just bitter. He's angry. And like, he, whenever we have an HOA meeting, um, it's, it's just tense. You know, it's like, he's just, uh, he's an angry man and he's always got some grievance. Something has gone wrong. And he didn't like the paint color for the dormers. He didn't like the landscaping company that we went with. And of course, I'm the president of the HOA, and so I have, to, I have to absorb a lot of this. I have to deal with it. You know, so he, he, he thinks everybody's out to get him, and he's just making trouble. And, of course, you know, we walk by his window. He's got his, his windows open, and we smell smelly, smoking weed. And I'm like, dude, like, pull your life together, you know. Um, well, the icing on the cake is uh, a couple years ago, he announced at an HOA meeting that he's suing our HOA um, for... A ridiculous thing, but I won't, I won't get into that, but trust me, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but he's suing our HOA and I'm like, dude, you're a member of the HOA and you know, we don't have any money in our HOA. So if, if you sue the HOA, then you're suing yourself. This doesn't make any sense for you to do this. Um, so, but I have to get a lawyer. I have to call our insurance company to, to, to deal with this. Um, Daniel is an enemy. All right. Um, now i I didn't really think of him that way until I started writing this sermon, and I started to reflect on my life, like, who are the enemies in my life? And I'm like, yeah, this, dude, this dude's an enemy. You know, I think I know it in my heart whenever, like, Laura and I are in the house, and I look out the window, and I see him walking the dog in the front park, and I just think, like, your dog is ugly, you know? <laughs> I just don't like you very much. But this, this is an enemy. This is a guy that is just really difficult. So we, we need to personalize it, and maybe there's somebody in mind that you would, you would think about, that the Lord would bring to mind that you can apply Jesus's teaching to. Second principle, focus on actions, not feelings. Focus on actions, not feelings. So we show love by the things that we do, regardless of how we feel. We show love by the things we do, regardless of how we feel. I mean, loving an enemy doesn't come naturally, right? It, the Bible's commands are aimed at the things we're prone to resist. So, this is not a natural thing. In fact, this is very unnatural in the flesh. So, I want to cite a source here, and I want to quote him a couple times. Um, it's one of the commentaries I read this week. The commentary is New American Commentary. The man's name is Robert Stein. It was really helpful. But I want to read you a quote from this commentary. He said, Love is not a mere feeling, it's an act of the will. It's not a mere feeling, it's an act of the will. Now, This is one point that I really want to press home in this message. I really want to press home the fact that love is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It's something that we do. And it's a counterintuitive thing. So Jesus doesn't command us to feel a particular way. Jesus commands us to act a particular way. So let me read to you more from Stein's commentary. Stein says, how is it possible to love an enemy? How can we do it? In our culture, we think of love in passive terms. Love is something over which we have no control. It just happens to us. Love happens to us spontaneously. Zing goes the strings of our hearts. In New Testament categories, however, love is not something primarily that happens to us. Love, rather, is a duty. It's a requirement. Love has more to do with activity than it has to do with feeling. We may not be able to control how we feel about our enemies, but we certainly can control what we do about those feelings. Jesus did not command his followers to feel a certain way, but to act a certain way. Emotions can be elicited, but not commanded. Actions and the will can be commanded. Thus, the command to love one's enemies is not directed to how believers are to feel, but how they are to act. Loving feelings may follow loving actions, like a caboose follows an engine. Jesus' commands, however, are addressed to the engine of the will and not the caboose of the feelings. So that's, that's, a, that's an important point that, that I think has a lot of implications for how we live this out practically. It's like, we're not talking about feeling a certain way about your enemies. Now, that, if that changes, praise God. We'd want that to happen. But that's not the command. The command is to act in a certain way. And as we read the things that Jesus said, there there are tangible actions that we're called to take. So we don't focus on how we feel about them. That may be under control. We focus on what we do for them. Here's a third principle. Refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. Let's let's, uh, read again in Verse 29. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. So you cannot love your enemies while you're trying to get revenge on them. Right? Jesus is saying, like, some bad thing has happened to you or is happening to you, and the Christian response of his followers is to not retaliate, even though what's being done to you is really wrong. Somebody is really, somebody's taken something from you, somebody's demanding something unfairly from you, and we don't retaliate. We don't seek retaliation. So love refuses to retaliate. The Apostle Paul. Um, He he said something similar, Romans 12, 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do, there's do again, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So refusing to retaliate means you're not going to run them down to other people. You're not going to retaliate verbally by exacting a pound of flesh from their reputation. You're not going to talk bad about them behind their back. So retaliation might feel like justice. It feels like you're evening the score and and and, you know making things right, but that's vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine. And so in a tense relationship, you might have been hurt or offended, but you're not in the right position to seek justice for yourself. It's too personal, it's too close. There's, whenever somebody has a conflict of interest, they need to recuse themselves because justice needs to be impartial. That's a biblical principle. But if you are the one seeking your own justice by nature of the fact that you're the aggrieved party, you are, you're not capable of being impartial. You have, uh, you, you, you have a, a claim in the case. And so whenever you seek your own justice, when you retaliate, you are committing an injustice and perpetuating the cycle. It's too personal. So whenever you're, you're acting out of your own pain, then your pain becomes the standard of what's right and what's wrong. And then feeling better becomes the standard of what is just. So whenever you seek your own justice through retaliation, you're committing a new injustice. You're, you're adding to, this, the, you're perpetuating this cycle. It's a, it, it, it's a, it becomes... A, a, a spiral that just keeps going and going and going because there's this a, count, action and counteraction between you and the other person. So, it, to, to not retaliate means that there has to be a place in your own heart where you're choosing to act in faith. And the faith is you're trusting God to give you justice in the situation. And God surely will give justice. God is a just God. Justice is related to the word judgment. And there will come a day when God judges the world and all things will be put back in order. And so justice is coming. So God will give justice either at the cross of Christ and by faith, that person's faith in Jesus. They will receive justice there at the cross. Or they will receive justice at the final judgment. But either way, God is the one that will bring justice. And so for you to not retaliate is an act of faith that God will deal with the situation. So faith does not lead to retaliation. Faith is patient with God's timing, and faith trusts God's means to bring about a just resolution. Now, that brings us to an objection that you might have. You might have been thinking about this. You might have even been frustrated about it uh, because this is is a, a natural thing for us to do because basically we're like, okay, is there no justice then? Are we just kind of giving up on making things right in the world? Are we just giving up on justice? So, for example, what about someone who is in an abusive relationship? Are they supposed to just love their enemy and uh, move on, like just continue letting the abuse happen? Does loving their enemies require them to subject themselves to further ongoing abuse? So how would Turn the Other Cheek apply in a physically abusive marriage? or a child with an abusive parent, how does loving your enemy or turning the other cheek or whatever, how do those commands apply in those situations? I mean, it's it's not hard to imagine how turn the other cheek can be twisted and to even encourage others to be violent. Is that what Jesus is calling to, calling us to? I mean, I've, I've known people who have been in abusive relationships and they've been trapped by their own thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Plain in this case, they've been trapped into thinking like, well, my duty to the Lord is to continue to let my husband beat me up. Because that's just, you know, I'm praying for those who abuse me, as Jesus said. So what do these things mean? Whenever Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who abuse you, bless those who curse you, turn the other cheek, Jesus was not prescribing a one-size-fits-all ethic that covers every situation. We have other scriptures, too, that address some of these other situations, right? So it's not as though Jesus' command just eliminates everything else. Jesus speaks this way forcefully to force us to reckon with the, the, the severity of the command because it is an intense command, But there are situations where we also have other scriptures that speak to our experience. And we need to also let the whole Bible speak and not isolate some words here in this sermon as though that's the only thing the Bible has to say about it. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is profitable for us. So we need to let the whole Bible speak and and not just this. Now, when I say that, I'm not excusing or trying to minimize the weight of Jesus' teaching. But I am saying that Jesus' teaching needs to be applied to the particulars of the situation. So let me just state this bluntly. If you are in an abusive relationship, it's not wrong to get out of that situation. It's not wrong to seek help. It's not wrong for you to appeal to others in your life that could be authorities or those could help like a pastor or, or even law enforcement. Call the police if you're in an abusive relationship. That's not wrong to do that. You're not violating Jesus' command by protecting yourself from physical violence. So loving your enemy doesn't require you to endure someone else's ongoing cruelty without recourse. That's an extraordinary situation. So we can submit to Jesus' teaching and let it have its full effect without absolutizing it to the point of absurdity. Protecting yourself from harm isn't retaliation. Subjecting yourself to ongoing abuse isn't loving. It's not loving to you, nor is it loving to the other person who's doing it to enable them to continue their sin. There are plenty of scriptures that address violence and abuse, and the scriptures tell us how to bring about justice in those situations in such a way that isn't vengeance on your part. So that, so we need to let the Scripture speak to that. And I'm not going to get into all the particulars of how that works, but I'm just saying like, we can just trust for the, point, for the purposes of this discussion. We can trust that there are means that God has in place to bring about justice for those in, in those situations. So that we need the, the wisdom of all the Scriptures, of the whole Bible. So Jesus, in this sermon, he's talking about ordinary obedience, which is radical, but it's radical Yet ordinary obedience in ordinary situations, and then in extraordinary situations, like in a, like in a you know, somebody who's beating his wife or something like that, there are, there are scriptures that speak to those situations as well. That's why we have church discipline. We have church discipline that, that is, is a way of, of preventing, of calling somebody to repent so that they will not continue to abuse people. So loving your enemies might require you to accept things that are beyond your control, that, I mean, that is true, but it does not mean that you have to subject yourself to abuse. So let me read to you another quote from R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul said, Jesus prayed for his own enemies. He didn't pray that they would be successful in their evil, right? But he prayed that their hearts would be changed, that they would be spared the final confrontation with the wrath of God. He prayed that their ways would be changed and that they may be redeemed. All right, let's move on to the next one. Do good to them. This is the fourth principle, do good to them. This is where we love our enemies with practical action. We help them, we show hospitality to them, we pray for them, we serve them in some way, we go the extra mile. In several of Jesus' examples, the enemy in view has a practical need that the Christian is responding to, right? So the Christian is called to, to meet that need towards... The, the person who's an enemy. Now, I want to read to you, um, I want to move over to Romans 12 and just read to you this text. I don't know if it's on the screen. Oh, it is. Okay, good. We got it. Um, this is Romans 12. And so this is the Apostle Paul. Um, very, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize as I read through this, like this is very much drawn from uh, Jesus' teaching here. But listen to how Paul, um, Paul describes this. Verse, Romans 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, now notice how practical this is. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. But overcome evil with good. The thing about heaping burning coals on their head—that's not to make them feel bad or try to, you know, try to make them feel guilty. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, 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 it's like bringing about the conviction of the spirit by acting in a Christ-like way, um, and acting like Jesus will will have that effect. But Paul mentions practical needs in this text, where there's rejoicing and weeping, right? There's—that's an that's like an emotional need of the, that you could. You could meet with a person that's an enemy. You could, you could be a comfort to them in, in their sorrow or, or delight to them in their rejoicing. There's physical needs like hunger and thirst. If there's, there's something that, you know, if they, they need food or whatever, of course in our day and age, that's gonna, that's gonna have a contextual application that may be different. But something as simple as inviting people over for dinner that, that you struggle with I mean that can do that can do wonderful things in your heart that's, and that 's a wonderful way to to love an enemy. Just invite somebody over for dinner and and, and bless them in that way. serve them in that way if, if you know of somebody that has a, a practical need, somebody has a financial need or somebody is moving across town or or um, somebody had a baby and they need meals brought to the family like th- those are those are Opportunities that you especially want to prioritize and jump on when you see them. Because it's good for your soul. It's good for them. It's good. It honors God to do all of those things. But this is a wide open command um, that it's a call to do practical things that benefits the other person. And your context and your conscience will determine how you obey it. The particular things that you do. The principle here is to express kindness and goodwill towards them in a practical way, something tangible and not just a feeling we're we're putting the actions out in front. Another way to say do good to them is to say seek what is good for them. And that's that's actually the biblical definition of love. I've shared this definition a number of times here, but I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you again. A biblical definition of love is the unselfish commitment to the highest good of another. Is thinking like, what is good for that person? Not, what would what really make them feel bad about all the horrible things they've done to me? No, it's not that. It's, well, like, what is truly good for that person? And so it is loving them by taking those tangible actions. And notice that that definition, it, it, it's not a feeling, right? It, it's, it's something that you're seeking something. You're pursuing a particular thing. It's a commitment. It's not an emotion. And that That is freeing for us because we can love somebody in a tangible way and do so as an act of faith, regardless of how it feels. So maybe like, even as we're talking about this, you don't know where to begin. It's like, I don't know what to do with that. I need something even more concrete. Well, how about you start here where Jesus said in verse 28, pray for those who abuse you. So begin by praying for that person. And you'll you'll notice, it will do wonders in your heart. What what it can do just as you begin to pray for that person and truly think if that person were praying for himself or herself, what would they be praying for? What sort of things would they be asking God for? And to start praying for those things on their behalf, interceding for them. She said, pray for those people. Pray for those people who, who hurt you in that way. It's the most kind and loving thing you could do for another person, is to pray for them. All right, number five. Focus on being distinct from the world. Focus on being distinct from the world. All right, back in Luke chapter 6, let's uh, pick up our reading here in verse 31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There's a golden rule. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. So Jesus here is comparing the the life of the kingdom behavior of the citizens of the kingdom is comparing them to what sinners would do. Well, just What's the status quo in the world? And how are we called to be distinct from that? And so he's not calling us merely to be a kinder, nicer version of the world, but to, to, but to be something radically different. To not just be a Christianized veneer upon normal, worldly behavior. So Jesus does this by illustrating absurd things. Like even an axe murderer is going to be nice to those that are nice to him for the most part, right? So it's like, what, what good is it if you're just like the axe murderer that is nice to those that are nice to him? You'd be different. You'd be distinct. You, you set yourself apart some way deliberately. So there's, there's a uniqueness that we're called to. We're not called to just merely be a a slightly sanitized version of the world, like a Ned Flanders version of the world. We're not merely called to be like, PG-13 Christians in a rated R world, you know? Same behavior, just a little less nudity and cursing or something like that. We're called to be radically different, to, to, to set ourselves apart, to be something very, very unique and distinct from the world as citizens of the kingdom. So there's a calling to live a different ethic. The thing is, most likely, your enemies are people just like you are. We said earlier, take like your enemies most likely don't, you know, have horns growing out the side of their head. These are, these are regular people. Most likely, your enemies don't sacrifice goats to the devil in the middle of the night or something like that. These are just regular people. They've got their own their own desires and concerns. They're trying to make their way in the world just like you are. They're ordinary people. And there's a really good chance that you are an enemy to somebody else. Maybe you don't know it. But there's a good chance you're somebody else's enemy. And if that person is in this room and hearing that sermon, how would you want them to treat you? Well, you'd probably want them to do the things we're talking about. You know, to not run you down behind your back and to, and to give you the benefit of the doubt and to, and to be a blessing to you. That's probably what you would want. And that's why the golden rule is, is tucked here in the middle of this message. Whatever you want people to do to you, do to them. Like, you Act towards others the way you would want them to act towards you. So our enemies, they're just like us. They're trying to make their way in the world. They've got their own hopes and hurts. Their desires and disappointments, they're normal people. That's, that's who Jesus is calling us to love here. Your enemy may be somebody who's hurt you very deeply, and you may have every right to be upset about it. They may have truly been cruel to you, they may even hate you, they may even despise you. And the most natural thing to do. In all the world is to hate them in return. Isn't that natural? Doesn't that, that feels about right? You hate me, I'll hate you back. We're even. That feels about right. And to do good to them, that feels like an injustice. It feels like, man, that's wrong. It's wrong. Why should I be good to them when they're, after the way they've treated me? Why should I do that? And there's this, this feeling of justice that rises up within us that just feels like, that. Well, I should never have to do that. Well, that's what the world does. Everybody, that's natural. That's easy. That's easy to do. Even though to, 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 to love your enemy, it, it, it feels unfair that's, that is what Jesus is calling just to set ourselves apart, to be different and distinct. Even though it's natural to hate them in return and despise them in return, that, that, is, that contributes to this destructive cycle. It's, it's harmful to you. Har- You're not destroying them, but you are harming yourself. It's not good for the soul to do that. Hatred towards a fellow human being, even somebody that you would classify as an enemy, that's poisonous to our souls. We weren't meant to live that way. We weren't meant to behave in that way or to think that way. So what good does it do for you to hate them in return? Does it solve anything? Does that help matters at all? (laughs) Is there anything good that comes out of responding in that way? Of course not. And as counterintuitive as it is, loving your enemies is Christ-like and good. And that is in itself good for your soul. I mean, it honors God, of course, like ultim- in, in the ultimate scheme of things, that, that glorifies Jesus, that honors God. But at the personal level, that is good for your soul because that's what we were made for. That's, that's our design initially in a pre-fallen world. And in you know, and in eternity, this, is, this will be our disposition Now, we don't do it to change the relationship with the other person. I mean, that's—we think, okay, this is how I make it right with them. This is how I change the relationship and win them over. But that's—that can't be our motivation because that's not a realistic expectation. Jesus doesn't tell us to expect it. Uh, Paul says you'll heat burning coals on their head. You know, uh, but that's—that's that's the Lord's work in their heart. That's—that's that's not something that we can control. So it's not realistic or good to think that I am doing this in order to get them to respond to me in a particular way. No, it's like we're doing this because it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of the kingdom. It's good for my soul. It glorifies God. That's why we do it. We do it because it it more deeply anchors us in the real world, the world of the kingdom, which is the world as it will be when Christ returns. It's more fully living in tune with the life of Christ. Number six, this is the last one. Number six, follow Jesus' lead. Follow Jesus' lead. Verse 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for, get this, He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. I said at the beginning that Jesus is calling us to an impossible standard. We can't live up to this in our strength, right? It's impossible in human strength. Without God as our reference point, there's no way we'll be able to live this way. But with God, all things are possible. In the strength that we receive from him, in the strength of the Spirit, we can love our enemies. We can can move in this direction and grow. And so what Jesus does is he points our attention back to God. And he said, like, look to God, look to to who he is, and let, let that be our example, and we can draw a string from that. So, to strengthen us and motivate us, Jesus gives us two truths about God. He talks about God himself. One, God is kind. Two, God is merciful. Verse verse, uh, 35 and 36. God is kind and God is merciful. Who who is God kind to? Is God kind to those that are kind to him? Is he kind to his friends and followers and his his buds? (laughs) It's like, well, no, Jesus said he is kind to the ungrateful. And the evil, wow. Well, who's ungrateful and evil? Surely that, that's not us, you know. Maybe there's a satanic club around here, you know, but that, that's not us, you know. We, we deserve his kindness, don't we? Well, no, of course not. We, it's us. It's everybody, without exception. Every human being that has ever lived is ungrateful and evil, and that's who God is kind to So God, Jesus, directs our gaze to the source of our strength, and that is our power to do the thing that's impossible. I mean, we are ungrateful. We take things from God without expressing gratitude. We do this all the time. We are the ungrateful. And we are the evil. We sin against God all the time. We disobey and we rebel and we're hard-hearted. We are the evil, and yet... He is kind to us. He is merciful to us. So it's it's like taking the golden rule one step further, where we would do unto others what God has already done unto us. It is receiving from God the kindness and the mercy that he has extended to us, and we're paying it forward. We're extending it to others that's what it means to love your enemies, to, to give to them what we've already been given, to receive something from God and then to extend it to somebody else, somebody else who doesn't deserve it, somebody who is ungrateful and evil even, but, but to, to act in a Christ-like way because of how we have received this from Christ. Well, how have we received this from Christ? Well, we look to the cross. So that's We receive this in the gospel. Jesus ultimately demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were his enemies, right? While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. He suffered ultimately for us. When Jesus was insulted, he did not open his mouth. When Jesus was beaten, he did not seek revenge. When Jesus was mocked and humiliated, Jesus did not retaliate. When Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. There can be a joy and a delight in loving our enemies. Because it it, it, it draws us nearer to the heart of Christ. It it kind of moves us with the grain of, of the kingdom. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is good. It is good. And in God's strength, with faith that God will ultimately bring justice and make things right, we can take practical steps of faith. We can move in that direction to love our enemies, to not retaliate, to do good to them, to be distinct, and to be like Christ. Let's pray. Our oh, Lord, this is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And Lord, we freely confess, we, there's no way we can do this on our own. We don't have the strength, we don't have the power in, in our flesh to obey this command. It's too counterintuitive. When every bone in our body and every fiber of our being is crying out for justice against the things that have been done to us, against the wrongs that have been committed against us. And then to turn to those people, to turn to the ones who have acted like an enemy to us and to love them and to do good to them and bless them and to pray for them and to seek what's good for them, Lord. That's We cannot do this. And we thank you, Jesus, that that is precisely the thing that you did on our behalf. You You treated us this way. You Loved us while we were cursing you and abusing you and hating you and nailing you to a cross. And we've all done that, maybe not physically 2,000 years ago, but in our hearts, Lord, we've defied you and rebelled against you. But you are kind to the evil and the ungrateful, and you are merciful. Lord, we pray for your strength to identify our enemies, to love them to do good, to pray for them, to not retaliate, to be distinct. Looking to Christ, help us, Lord, to follow this teaching for your glory and for our good. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. We are Christ the King Church, for more information about our church, please visit us at ctksency.com.